we set it up at the beach and we started playing and after 10 minutes there was like a crowd of like 25 people um like looking and they anybody who was walking by would stop and look we had people asking us you know where to get it which we didn't have an answer for at that point and, and so after that we decided we're never going to take this out in public again until we have because maybe we're actually on to something here um that was a pretty cool like early experience of bringing it out <laughs> Welcome to the UND Greyhound Guide, the only show of its kind where we give you unparalleled access to the University of Indianapolis Sport Management Program, which is located within the amateur sports capital of the world. Through the voices of students, alumni, and even professors, listeners will gain information that can't be received by visiting a website or even touring a campus. Catch us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date on all things sport management. I am your host, Cody McCullough. So some things just go better together, like peanut butter and jelly, Batman and Robin, and cornhole and golf. The last one is new, and it is what describes Chippo. Chippo is an award-winning game that has been recognized by Barstool Sports, Golf Digest, and the PGA Tour for its performance and uniqueness. Brendan McCauley formulated the idea in 2016, and over the last half decade has grown this brand to new heights along with his co-founder Matt. Side note, if you're looking for entertaining reading material, visit their website. It's some of the funniest stuff you'll ever read on an e-commerce page. So we appreciate you joining us today, Brendan, and like to start off with a fun question. If Chippo had a tournament that was being broadcast on ESPN, what two people would you want in the booth commentating it? Wow. Uh... It's, it's a good, it's a great question. I think uh, I'm going to assume that I can answer dead or alive. Yes. And um, in that case, I would go with Chris Farley and Adam Sandler. Uh, Chris Farley, I think, is the funniest human ever to live, and Adam Sandler is pretty funny in his own right, but also a golf guy. He knows golf, obviously, with Happy Gilmore. So I think that would be my answer, final answer. If you had them two in the booth, then you got to have Shooter McGavin given the on-course. (laughs) That's great. Shooter McGavin has actually played Chippo, the guy who played Shooter. Oh, really? Yeah, we had it at like a celebrity outing once, and he was there and was playing it, and he did the whole thing after he took a shot. It was we have video of it somewhere. It was it was awesome. I think his name is uh, Chris McDonald. Yeah, I think so. So. I know you have, uh, you've told like the origin story of Chippo probably multiple times over the years, but could you just quickly highlight like how this idea came to you and some of the early stages of development you went through? Sure. So we, um, I had always wanted to do something like entrepreneurial. I didn't know what that was going to be, but, um, after I graduated from business school, I had a little kid, we had a family party Um, and then the next morning I was just in the backyard cleaning up there was a cornhole set out there was walking around with my little daughter and I I just happened to grab a wedge from the shed and started chipping golf balls around the yard and and then started chipping them at the cornhole set and uh, after a while I was like great this is this is kind of fun Um, and I had you know I fell in love I got introduced to cornhole when I was in college 
and fell in love with that game and have always like been into games and I come from this really big family, athletic, competitive, every party that we were ever at or gathering that we were ever at, there was always some sort of a backyard game. And so, um, you know, also have always loved golf and it just seemed like a really interesting idea. And um, so I started doing a bunch of research. My partner, Matt, my co-founder, who, who you mentioned earlier, he and I were thinking about launching something else in sort of the sports space. Um but I went to him with this idea and we fell in love with it and just started doing, you know, all that initial work, like building prototypes and figuring out like, you know, what type of turf works the best and angles and, you know, all that stuff. So um, that was just sort of the initial stages. And that's how that's how it sort of came to be. I have to say, so like after reaching out to you on the uh, I think it was the Facebook page, the the message that gets kicked back to you when you send like automated thing, it says, we'll be back to you faster than you can say chipopotamus or something. Yes. And so I, I sent that, I got that message back and I was like, I thought it was funny cause I never heard of that. Literally clicked over to my other window and refreshed whatever page I was on and came back and you'd already messaged back. So you actually almost did reach back out faster than that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's something that it's, interesting that you bring that up it's something that we really have cared about since day one is like customer service and getting back to people and being over the top you know making everyone's experience with the brand overly positive and super super happy and i think it's one of the best ways that you can market yourself is everyone that buys it all you know becomes a you know a um an ambassador essentially for the company and for the brand because they're they had a great experience buying it and getting it and they like the website and all the emails that we send after your order are sort of funny and comical and irreverent. So yeah, it's something, I mean, customer service is something that to this day we, you know, we take very seriously. So this question here is interesting because the last episode we did with QB 54, um, one of the co-founders, Mike, they actually tried a Kickstarter campaign too. And he talked about on that episode with us, how he thought like you just posted a Kickstarter and everyone raised like their $20,000 goal or whatever, but they only raised $800 or something like that. And you guys, so in researching and listening to other shows you were on, I learned that you guys did a Kickstarter and your goal was 12,000, I believe. And you raised almost a quarter of a million dollars in the crowdsourcing. Yeah. So I'm curious um, what you guys did, whether it was like, social media driven and just kind of what goes into creating a successful Kickstarter. Yeah. I mean, it was wild. I, we, you know, when you create something, you, you believe it's going to take off and you believe people are going to like it or else you wouldn't put all the work in that goes into doing all that, but you never know, like you never really actually know. And, you know, one of the great things about crowdsourcing about Kickstarter is that it gives you some validation. If you feel like um, it's a good way to just introduce it into the market and see if there's actually interest in your idea or in your product and it can get validated through Kickstarter that way. But yeah, we did, you know, everything we do, we do a lot of research and work up front before we ever do it. And so, um, you know, with Chippo, we did all of our IP stuff before we ever went public with it you know we had all of our patents and trademarks and everything 
filed before we went put it on Kickstarter. And we also read a lot about Kickstarter, um, you know, crowdsourcing and, you know, how to make one successful. And one of the things that you read is that don't just drop it on the Kickstarter and expect it and expect it to take off, you know? So we, we reached out to a lot of people on social media. We really studied, we knew it kind of already because we are both into golf, but we really studied like the social media landscape on, uh, in golf and who are like the influencers and who the people follow. And, you know, this was in 2017. So Instagram influencer mania hadn't really taken off to the, the heights that it is today. Um, but you know, we, we found some folks who, you know, were happy to work with us and, um, post about it and share, you know, that we were going to be live and share about our Kickstarter and everyone really liked the idea. It was, you know, it was a really unique idea. There was no real golf themed backyard game at that time. We were sort of the first one and, um, you know, people are passionate about yard games and people are passionate about golf. And so I think it sort of struck a chord. Um, and so it was, a, it was a mix of getting friends and family interested so that they could go on day one and, and support, um, you know, our, our Kickstarter and extended networks, getting them interested. We reached out to a bunch of people in the media um, and someone at Golf Digest, you know, was like, I love this. And they wrote an article and that article sort of went crazy and went viral. And then like the people at Barstool reached out to us and said they loved it. They had, they were just launching a podcast at the time called Foreplay, which is now, you know, like the biggest golf podcast in the world. So we, they invited us up. They did like some stuff with us, um, you know, golf.com, bro Bible. And, you know, we put out videos that ended up going viral. You know, at the time, Facebook was a was a wild place. And uh, we had our first video that we did on Chippo, which was just like me and our friends on the beach playing and, you know, edited by my partner, Matt, who does an incredible job with that stuff. Um, that was the video that we used on Kickstarter. We also published it on Facebook and the video was viewed something like 12 million times and shared like 100,000 times. And it was just wild. And that and so that was why, you know, the 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 Kickstarter went crazy. We hit our goal in the first day and ended up doing $235,000 over the course of a month, um, before closing it out. So it was, it was really crazy. And, um, you know, a sign that maybe we were onto something with the idea. So this might sound like a negative question or something, but are there any, um, so there are pros and cons to like the crowdfunding. Were there any like negative drawbacks or cons to you guys raising that much and exceeding your goal by that much? Like, I just don't know going into it when people are making like a uh, like a plan of this is what we'll do if we come short or if we hit it or like if we beat it by 10,000. But you guys way over succeeded. And like, I didn't know if that caused any um, any changes like in your supply chain or in manufacturing. That's a good question. I mean, that. For us, you know, one thing that we did going into it was we made sure that, you know, if this isn't successful, are we going to have the capital anyway to do like a first run of this product? And so if you fail at the Kickstarter, it stinks. And maybe it's a sign that maybe there's not as much demand as you thought there was for your idea. Um, but, you know, we felt comfortable that even if this Kickstarter failed, that we would be able to, um, still go ahead with our first round. 
our, our first manufacturing round. Um, as far as cons, you know, one of the cons these days is that if something goes crazy on Kickstarter, there unfortunately are a lot of bad actors out there who find it and can rip it off or copy it. Um, which is sort of something to be concerned about. And I think one reason why you want to make sure you do your IP work, you know, before ever putting the pub, the product out there in the public, um, and, um, be ready to support that if something should happen, but you know, bad ideas don't generally don't get ripped off. So if it gets ripped off, it could also be a, you know, a signal that you have a good idea. Um, there are a lot of pros of crowdsourcing and I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan of it. I think you build, you know, we built like a really great fan base early on of folks that sort of still follow us and still like the product and have bought other stuff from us. And, you know, you keep in touch with them and, uh, we had over 1200 supporters and that's, that's pretty big for, you know, a startup e-commerce to have 1200 supporters off the bat for a product that costs, you know, almost 200 bucks. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just something that if you're launching a business or an idea through crowdfunding, you're also launching a business or an idea and you got to do a lot of work before you, before you ever do that to make sure that it can be successful and to make sure that you have all your bases covered. So, you know, understand your risks and the potential rewards going into it. I think that would be my only sort of heads up to anyone who's got an idea and wants to launch it through a crowd crowdsourcing campaign. So I've heard you in that other show that I listened that you did, um, you talked about how like you were surprised and very thankful, like to how helpful people within the golf community were, um, and like welcoming your product into the scene and some of the resources that you've used. So as a player now in the like yard game backyard industry, do you think that there is a benefit like to helping newcomers enter the market? Like I've kind of talked about this with the QB 54 founder, like the idea that if someone buys, um, if someone buys a competitor like a can jam or something, that they're then more likely to buy a Chippo game rather than if that initial purchase wasn't can jam and it was like a video game for their console. So, um, do you think that there's a parallel there that you would rather like, even if someone didn't buy your game, you'd rather have them buy a game in that in that space yeah i mean i want them to buy my game for sure but if uh you know more people who and we've certainly seen this over the last year with the you know people being stuck at home like you know at home games outdoor game you know chippo is actually decent for indoor and outdoor um but we saw we seen a huge spike in demand for things to play at home, stuff to get outside. And, and I think people got sick of sitting indoors. And um, so any demand growth in the overall category of outdoor games, I think is good for us, for sure. Um, you know, people, I think, generally think that Chippo is more of a niche product because it's really golf focused, but it's not really not what we've experienced. We have people of all shapes and sizes and experience levels playing Chippo. Um, and so, you know, who you, who you define your customer base as in the beginning, if you do a good job at, you know, making a product that can be used by a lot of folks, I think, you know, you might be surprised as to who 
could be your end customer. So, you know, we've done some cross promoting with other outdoor games. Um, we've done some fun stuff and been part of different giveaways and different events with other outdoor games and other, you know, sort of golf companies as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think, um, in business and life, you try to find people who you can, people in companies who you can, who you trust and who you respect and who you want to work with. And uh, if they're sort of in the same space, that's great. And, and if that could help sort of grow demand for your product and your category in general, I think that's pretty cool too. Yeah. Yeah, we had uh, Casey Wright, who is the CEO of Ninja Zone, which is like a, a parkour gymnastics type things uh, directed cool. towards like younger boys and she had a quote on a podcast I listened to and the guy kind of asked her the same question I did and she said that she she's like our first competitor is the couch because she said it's getting people off the couch so she said even if they choose uh, like a different version of gymnastics that, that that's not mine she said that there's a piece of her that's okay with it because that means that the person is at least doing something um so I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why we we have this thing is because we're we're big on getting people outside and competing and having fun and um, you know we love golf, but we think that there are some things about the sport, some perceptions about the sport where it's you know um rich white guys with their you know collars popped on the country club talking about stocks and and whatever like you know golf itself is a great sport and and those perceptions that have built up around it are not necessarily true but they are out there and you know if we can make a sport a little bit more accessible by combining it with a game that anybody can play like cornhole and anybody can play anywhere um you know, I think that's sort of cool. And it's along the same lines of what um, the other that other person, I think you said, Casey said. I recently noticed that you guys were out of stock, but then replenished. So I'm always curious with uh, businesses that are product-based, what the hardest thing is about inventory management and maybe what are some pitfalls that you fell into earlier on that you think entrepreneurs pursuing something like this should be aware of? Yeah. Inventory management is hard, especially, you know, last year, over the last year and a half, it's been incredibly hard because we saw, you know, we saw an incredible um, spike in demand during the, um, the pandemic. And so that sort of messed with everything. And then what you, what ended up happening then later in the year was that as everybody, every online product company sold out of all their stuff, they had to go back and get more and more stuff at the end of the year, which drove the world crazy essentially. And then, you know, you had stuff like the prior year tariffs that were put in place that had impacted everybody. And so there's just been a lot of weird external events that nobody could have ever planned for. So in some ways, inventory management for a startup or a small company is like a funny word to use because management is, I I don't know, unless you have endless supply of capital, unless you have a crystal ball to understand like whether people are going to like your product, how much they're going to like your product, you know, what new channels are you going to launch on, you know, what's going to go on in the global logistics 
world like it, it's sort of really hard it's been it's, it's a challenging thing to manage for a smaller company um to be honest especially if you're making your product overseas um so there's a lot of things that you got to think about but you know for us we have sold out a few times it has been negative um you know it stinks to be sold out on amazon it stinks to be sold out on your website we generally will just do like a um a pre-order when that happens and people are generally pretty cool with that i mean if you won't need it for a birthday party or an event or something that that's not good um but generally people are okay with it especially in today's world where you know you go online and try to buy almost anything today and it seems like almost everything's sold out so um but we've gotten better at it and um you know we're
maybe getting off the ground. Um, so, but I would suggest, you know, at least having access to the capital that you feel like you would need to get your first run done before sort of going public with it, because if it takes off and you don't have that money, then someone else is just going to do it, you know? So I'm curious. We set it up at the beach and we started playing. And after 10 minutes, there was like a crowd of like 25 people, um, like looking and they, anybody who was walking by would stop and look. We had people asking us, you know, where to get it, which we didn't have an answer for at that point. And, you know, where did you get that? They said, you know, we didn't really have a great answer for it at that point either. Um, and it was interesting because it was, you know, it was dads, like, dads who would come up to us and were like what the hell is this i need this and then there was mom there was women moms um there was little kids there was people of sort of all ages and uh who came and had interest and were asking us questions and standing around and watching and asking to play and so after that we decided we're never going to take this out in public again until we have because maybe we're actually on to something here um but that was a pretty cool like early experience of bringing it out I would, although it was probably not too smart, uh, I think it was good signal for us that maybe, you know, we were on something with the idea. So is there a part of this Chippo um, journey? Um, was this your first like entrepreneurial venture? Uh, yeah, for both of us, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, so is there a part of this like process that you're glad you didn't know about before starting like something maybe looking back now? Um, in the rearview mirror, it seems really hard. And had you known about beforehand, you maybe wouldn't have pursued it. Oh boy. Um, it it's a lot, it takes a lot of time. Um, if you want to do, do it right, it takes a lot of time and we've kept the company to be pretty lean over time. And so that's good for a lot of reasons. Um, but it also makes it challenging because there's more that falls on our plate. Um, you know, as the co-founders and, you know, from a time perspective, it means a lot of late nights and a lot of early mornings and, you know, no vacations and, and all that stuff just to get a thing off the ground and keep it running. But on the other side of that token, that's been a great experience because, you know, you learn how to do
Because I was wondering, because a lot of the videos, if you're just searching it, people are playing in uh, like parking lots, and I was like, that can't be a real golf ball because that's pretty gutsy. It's not. Yeah, it's it's a, it's not a real golf ball, and you know the game plays. It was all designed to make it feel as much like a regular golf ball as possible. Um, even the way you know the the board set up, the turf that we use, and everything, it feels like you're hitting onto a green. But uh, you know, it's it's safe for use. You know, out, outdoors, indoors. Well, I appreciate you coming on and spending time. Uh, like I said, I know it was a few weeks where we were going back and forth, but it's fun. Learn some new stuff. Like, I've never heard of that Google Patents. I'm going to look into that as I'm curious. Yeah, Google Patents. They'll go down a rabbit hole, I'm sure. Awesome. Well, like I said, I appreciate it. And... When I post the episode, I will post it across the platforms and tag you guys. And if there's ever anything we can do at the university to help move some chippo boards, just let us know. Yeah, no problem. Well, I, I have that code, so that code yep. is I'll I'll email that to you so you have it, and then um, we can, if you want, we can send you a set. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'm not gonna say if we post a video of it that it would be any good, but <laughs> no problem. If, uh, if you want to just email me your, the, the best address to send it to. Okay. We'll send that. Awesome. Right. That sounds good. Thank you very much. All right. No problem, Cody. Thank you. See ya. Nice to meet you.